Reputation is what people think that you are, but really character is who God knows that we are. There's a difference between reputation and character. Reputation is what people think we are, but character is who God knows that we are. And in a image conscious society like we live in, in the 21st century West, It's very easy to be more concerned with your reputation than with your character. Reputation is what people think that you are, but really character is who God knows that you are. Wow, so true. We strive in this life to put on the best front we can. And many times that's just what it is, a front, when really our hearts are so far from God. Pastor Daniel will begin today a three-part message exhorting each of us to cry out to God for a fresh move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When you think about someone's reputation, you think that over time and experience based on whether the reality of who they portray themselves to be, or your perception of what they are, a reputation ends up being something that as people look at someone, they automatically have an idea of what or who they are. You think about Pastor Bill, our founding pastor of 37 years. If Pastor Bill was teaching on a Sunday morning, would you ever think that Pastor Bill would roll out here in a pair of cut-off Shorts with flip-flops on and a Rolling Stones t-shirt? No, right? His reputation precedes him. In the same way if I, you would never expect me to roll in in a three-piece suit. (laughs) See, a reputation is what people think that you are. We had a great example of this yesterday. Lynn and I came home, and when we saw our kids, and I speak about my children often, and they teach me so much about who the Lord is. And, you know, when we got home, our, our eight-year-old Obadiah, Obadiah was just looking tired. He, he had that bleary-eyed look. And so right away, Lynn and I looked at him, and we said, hey, Obadiah, are you feeling okay? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling great, you know? And, uh, and we didn't quite believe him. So, because Obadiah's got a reputation in our house. And so we said, Obadiah, you really feel good? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, prove it. I want you to get up and dance for us. And he's like, okay. And he gets up, and I say, ready, go. And Obadiah just starts dancing and moving around. And he starts going, chicka-boom-boom, chicka-boom-boom. And, and we knew he was fine. Because that's how Obadiah rolls. Reputation is what people think that you are. But really, character is who God knows that we are. There's a difference between reputation and character. Reputation is what people think we are. But character is who God knows that we are. And in an image-conscious 
society like we live in in the 21st century West, it's very easy to be more concerned with your reputation than with your character. And in a lot of ways, we are more rewarded in our culture for reputation rather than character. And what's interesting, as we are continuing this study, as Jesus looks at the seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3, what we're calling case study, is that in these last few letters, you'll notice that Jesus is kind of getting tough on his church. If you were here last week, Jesus was tough on the church in Thyatira. He loved them enough not to leave them the way that they were. This week... And if you want to open up in your Bibles there to Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, as we're going to look at the letter to the church in Sardis, in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, Jesus comes down on this church with a lot of passion and a lot of force because they had a great reputation, but their reputation was nowhere near who they actually were. Jesus, to use kind of the more modern language, is no fan of posers. He's no fan of posers, especially not when it comes to the things of the church. Now, before we get started, I want to make sure we all realize that what we're going to see here today, and it's beautiful about the Lord, because when the Lord calls out a church, he doesn't just call them out because he doesn't love them. He calls them out because he does love them. And Jesus does not want to condemn this church because he knows that there is no condemnation because they put their faith and trust in him. So Jesus' challenge to this church is meant to shock the system, to revive them. That's why we called this message diagnosis from Jesus. It says, be revived. Be revived. And as I studied this week in this passage, I found all sorts of areas of my own life where God was putting his finger on, yeah, you know, you need a little revival there, a little touch of revival there. You need a full-on Holy Spirit overflowing revival here. And I want to encourage you to have the liberty, to give the Spirit of God the liberty to speak afresh into your hearts today. Whether you're here in the sanctuary, whether you're in our chapel venue, there's a, people are giving out, whether you watch this in, on YouTube or Facebook or however, wherever later. Say, Holy Spirit, right in this moment, the moment that you're in, say, Holy Spirit, I give you access just to, to speak to my heart, to speak revival, to say, I want to take uh, uh, an ember that's starting to, to go down, and I want to fan the flames by the Holy Spirit to make it a raging fire. Because for each one of us, in the, the ins and outs of our lives, day in, day out, all that life is, we all have things that start to die out, don't they? Over time, through neglect, through circumstances, all these things, things start to die out in our lives. And Jesus is crying into the church in Sardis, be revived, be revived. And I believe that God wants to revive us today. He doesn't want to just be, yeah, it's dead. Bury it, get a new one. That's what I love about the Lord. Jesus isn't disposable. He doesn't like, yeah, you're useless now, so Sorry. Got to find me a new one. My grandma, she's been married to my grandfather now for 
almost 70 years. God bless him. She's so funny. My little five foot two grandma. I always say, Grandma, how'd you make it so long with Grandpa? She's like, I never owned a gun. <laughs> you got to love it, you know? She's like, I'm going to trade him in for 220s. She always says that stuff. She's so funny. She's a piece of work, you know? But, but what's beautiful is, like my grandma, she, she jokes, but she ain't going to trade him in. She loves him. She cares about him. They fit together like hand and glove. God's not looking to trade you in. He's not looking to get a new one, a better version, a newer version, a sleeker version. He just wants you to be all that God wants you to be. He wants the same for me. Not just disposing us, but saying, look, I want you to come. I want to revive you. I want to pump you up. And I want to turn you loose on a world that is in such desperate need. So I believe God wants to speak to us in these ways today, each one of us. Now, as always, we have the checklist. Jesus has been using this checklist on every single church. It's his diagnostic checklist. First, he says, look, the revelation, this is who I am. Each letter, this is who I am. Because Jesus is revealing himself in and through his church. Then he says, here, here's the good. This is what you're doing well. Here's the bad. Here's where you're struggling. Here's an area of issue. Then he challenges us. He says, listen, because there's areas of struggle, this is my challenge to you if you are willing to accept it. And if the, for the people who do, for the churches that do, Jesus gives a promise. And as we've said here, each one of these letters written to a specific church around the end of the first century that was alive when the Apostle John received this revelation but each one of these letters has a wider application. They all have the phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the Spirit wants to speak to all the churches. So although it's a local congregation, it has a wider application. So it applies to you and I. So let's jump right on in. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, as we see Jesus' letter to the church in Sardis. It says... And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things say he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, each letter is addressed to an angel, to a messenger, whether it's an angelic supernatural messenger, or simply somebody who has caretaking authority over the church. 
And it's the church in Sardis. Now, remember, we keep saying that each letter, the seven letters, it was a little postal route, a little trade route. It made a little arch in what is modern-day Turkey. Now, Sardis was about 30 miles south of Thyatira. And its location was a great trade location between the Aegean Islands, and it was a military road that ran right through it. So the, the city of Sardis was... Not an extravagant city, but it was substantial, just the same. There was a great um, pagan temple there, as well as a great uh, necropolitis, which was literally like a place where they buried the dead that was venerated, so where the dead were venerated. So to this church, Jesus' revelation, look at what he says here. He says in the middle of verse 1, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So in a simple way to put this, what this is saying is that Jesus has the goods. That's what he's saying. Jesus has the goods. Now, when you think about that, we live in a culture where, you know, really our economy is driven by sales, whether it's advertising or whatnot. And everyone's trying to show you with what they're selling that they have the goods, now, you guys know I love watching our culture. I live here. It's, it's fun to be a part of it. How often are you watching a TV show or you're watching a sporting event? And of course, each TV show has its own set of marketing, given who watches it. So, so when you're watching sports, you'll never see, see things for anti-aging cream. They reserve that for the, the, the lady shows, like probably like The Bachelorette or some other show like that. But for the guys' shows, they're always pumping the SUV. You know what I mean? And in every SUV commercial, it's always you are off-roading in some really cool remote place. And, you know, you're not driving on the road like everyone else, but you're really taking it off-road. You know, because what they're doing is they're appealing to a guy's sense and need for adventure, which they don't feel. So just driving around on the highway with the speed limit, that's not adventurous. That's just normal. But if, you can, if I can get you to think that if you buy this very expensive gas-guzzling machine, that you will be off-roading. Now, how many of you have SUVs have ever actually off-roaded? Yeah, like, like about one out of every 50 of you. So some of you actually got to enjoy it. Most of you, you just bought the lie. That's what you did. That's what you did. I'm not knocking it. We have one in my house too, but I've never taken it off-roading because my fear is if I go off-roading, the axle's going to break. I'm going to have to pay more, right? So you have all... So it's every, every attempt at sales is trying to show you that this has the goods. If you buy, you ladies, if you buy that anti-aging cream, it's going to take 15 years of aging hell right off your face in that fast. If you buy this SUV, you're going to be delivered from mundane driving hell. Just like that. You're going to get the SUV. You're going to be off-road, and you're going to feel great. But then you get the SUV, and you get the, the gas bill, and you're like, man, why did I buy this thing? But the reality is, is Jesus has got the goods. All these other things are fine. I have no problem with it. We, we live in a, car, in a car culture. Most of us can't just walk everywhere, so you get a car. And you get a car that suits your preferences and your likes and your budget, Lord willing. If you're, if you're getting on in years and you don't want wrinkles, you can feel free to buy the anti-aging cream. It's your face. <laughs> None of these things are wrong. But in all the things that we enjoy, 
We have to remember who really has got the goods. And Jesus of Nazareth has the goods. Look what it says. It says, these things say, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, you find these idioms show up in three different places. Revelation 1, 4, 1, 16, and 1, 20. Look at what it says in Revelation uh, 1, 4. It says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now you turn to verse 16. It says, and he has in his right hand seven stars. You go to verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So we find that, of course, the the stars that he holds, those are the messengers to the churches. Jesus holds them in his hand. He has them. They're his own. Now, of course, the seven spirits of God, it's enigmatic at best. It's mysterious. We know, according to the book of Ephesians, that there's only one spirit. So what are the seven spirits of God? And I'm here to tell you, I don't know. I can give you lots of conjecture, lots of ideas. We know from a, a numerics idea that seven is the number of completion. So some would say that the seven spirits of God speak of the completeness, the totality of Jesus' range of exercise for the church. Others would say that each spirit, because we see it before the throne, is specific for one of the seven churches that has the spirit works uniquely. Other people want to reference the book of Isaiah. Chapter 11, verse 2, which gives us seven ways that the spirit of God works. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. All of these are good. I bet you got some of your own. Those of you who are out there who are Bible scholars, you got your own ideas. About what it means. I'm here to tell you, I don't know. I, I would love to give you, like, this is what it means. This is the, the interpretation. But what I will tell you is this. To a church that has a reputation of being alive but is dead, Jesus has the goods because the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. So for a church that is, in effect, dead, although seeming to be alive, Jesus has got the goods to revive them. That's what this means. By having the Spirit for them, by having the messengers, those who have caretaking authority over them, Jesus has the goods to do what needs to be done in Sardis, and Jesus has the goods as to what needs to be done in your life. Let me say that again. Jesus has the goods as to what needs to be done in your life. For some of us, maybe a lot of us in here, already put our faith and trust in Jesus. And every single day, we're learning how to trust that Jesus has the goods to take care of our lives. He has today, tomorrow, the future, our fears, the ability to overcome. For some of us, we put our faith and trust in Jesus, but where we want, we think we have the goods for our own life. And although we believe in Jesus, we're off trying to do our own thing because we don't really don't trust God. We don't trust that he can take care of it. For others of us in here today, maybe watching online or, or in the chapel or wherever you are, 
you are not yet at a place where you can say, Jesus has got the goods for my life. Where you're like, I don't know if I want to believe in Jesus. I don't know if I do believe in him. I don't know that I should trust him with my life. I'm here to tell you, if that's you, if you're the person who has yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm here to tell you that Jesus has the goods for your life. That's, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to tell you that Jesus has everything that you need for life, for flourishing, for joy, to live a life unlike anything you ever imagined. That's right there for you in Jesus. He's got the goods. He's got the goods. Now, notice what happens as we continue. At the end of verse 1, it says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Do you see that? I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. There is nothing good spoken about the church in Sardis. Not one thing. Jesus says, I know your works. And you'd be like, okay, well, at least they have works. He's like, but you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. This church has not one good thing spoken of. That's tragic. That's a tragedy. But notice what he says. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. So Jesus jumps right into the bad. There's no good on his checklist. When Jesus is doing the diagnostic checklist of the church in Sardis, you get to the good and he just jumps right over it. He gets right to the bed. I know that you have a name, that you're alive, but you are dead. And my exhortation to you is simply this. Don't be dead. Don't be dead. Don't be dead. And that statement is both cheeky and easy to remember, and it's also radically logical. Don't be dead spiritually. Don't live a life gaining the whole world and losing your own soul. Don't be the kind of person that buys hook, line, and sinker all of the cultural desires of our day and miss out on the very reason you were created. There's nothing more illogical than being dead when you should be alive. It's not logical. It makes no sense on any level. But what's fascinating is that God created us in his image and in his likeness, and he gave us the ability to choose, and God will abide by our choices to be dead if we want to be. Now, that doesn't make any sense to me either, but I'm not God. So I'm here to tell you, don't be dead. Notice, dead people still work. Dead people still have reputations, but they're dead. See, he says, I know your works. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Jesus is saying, look, you have a good reputation. People know about you, but it's not what it seems. Jesus is I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus at Israel Radio. It's exciting to me that you would take the time to listen to this. It is my distinct hope that each one of us would simply respond to Jesus. That's a big idea for me, for Crossroads Community Church, and for Jesus Israel Radio, that each one of us would meet with Jesus 
what I like to say, at street level. Because Jesus is right where you are. He is right there in the middle of your situation and in the middle of your circumstances. Jesus is right there. And Jesus wants each one of us to learn how to simply respond to him. What that means is that at every moment, Jesus prompts us and we take that step. And it's my hope for you as you're listening to this program that you would find yourself each day simply responding to Jesus more and more. You'll become more loving, more kind, more gracious, more generous, not just financially, but in every single area of your life. You'd find yourself desiring to serve others and not just hoping that everyone is there to serve you. When we simply respond to Jesus, we become closer and closer and closer to who God created us to be. And so we say that Jesus is real and he is and he exists right where you are and he is inviting you to partner with him in recreating the world. So Jesus wants to change the world and he is looking for available people, people like you and like me. So please, as you listen, simply respond to Jesus and engage yourself in the work of God's kingdom in your community and your world. God bless you so much.